Hi, welcome to AmateurLogic.tv, episode 42. I'm George. I'm Tommy. I'm Peter. And I'm Jim. Huh? <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> We got Emil with us today. Good to see you, Emil. We've, uh, we've been threatening to get you on here for a while, and you're here at last. Good to be with y'all. Uh, Jim is not here today. He's feeling a little under the weather, so we decided we'll would pull this motley crew together and get this thing out there. Uh, it's been a, a hot summer here, and there's been a lot going on. We're still uh, working on the shack here, but it's come along pretty well. And uh, you can see we've got Emil sitting over here in a monitor because it was kind of a last-minute job here to get that done. And uh, Peter, we've got him keyed in over there, we think. There's, there's right nothing here. there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I see him you, right there. I think he just rubbed his chin. Yeah. Sorry, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get started here. Uh, Tommy, have you got an email there on a recent topic? Man, I have some emails here. i got several of them. <clears throat> I've got an interesting one here. Um, this is from Richard, KK4IOY. And I believe we talked to Richard on the Echolink net the other night. Yeah. And he was asking about the Raspberry Pi, which is kind of a hot topic right now. He's asking about uh, how the output looked uh, using the composite video out. And at the time, I had not tried it. And uh, I recently did try it. And uh, it doesn't look as good as the HDMI, obviously. Uh, the resolution is lower, but it actually made it a little bit easier to see on my uh, HDTV. Really? Because the text is so small. It wasn't like a... Like a C64 or a Coco? Well, it wasn't It wasn't real clear, but it actually, I didn't have to use my glasses to see it. Oh, okay. <clears throat> um, it's not quite as crisp, though. But anyway, he goes on and shows a link about a project the guy did uh, using the uh, Raspberry Pi. And uh, you can see it here at the link below. Uh, anyway, it shows the, um, he took the Raspberry Pi and attached a keyboard to it and a little LCD monitor he tapped into it run the five off of five volts as well it's a really awesome project you guys ought to check the link out cool. anyway I appreciate you sharing that with us Richard well I've got an email here from Tom AJ4XM and if this is a time I'm thinking about it's one of my buddies from uh, the Dayton Amateur Radio Club that we met there on the plane on the way to Dayton. Mm -hmm. we, we had the ham fest in the back row there. Not to be confused with your other Tom friend. Not my other Tom friend, no. The other other Tom friend. Yeah. Gotcha. He says that uh, while the video's not quite up to amateur logic standards, he's excited to announce they've started an ambitious project to expand the WS4SFM exhibit at the South Florida Science Museum. And it's called Lasting Moments of First Excitement. And they've got a Kickstarter program going. And he'd like you to go to this link here and check it out. It's combining technology available with computers and the information available via the Internet with the worldwide wireless communications offered by Amateur Radio. It looks like an interesting project. And they've got a Facebook group. It's the uh, West Palm Beach Amateur Radio Group, Inc. So check that out and uh, see what Tom and the guys down in South Florida are up to. Peter, what have you got down there? Yes, uh, George, I've got an email here from, uh, or rather a suggestion from Ray VK4ZW for a QRP segment. 
and uh, he's pointed us towards the New Jersey QRP Club as a group that could possibly help us out in, in that regard. Uh, I actually have a, a Softrock uh, SDR kit floating around, which I haven't gotten around to build, but I do understand, uh, and that's a 1 watt kit, but I do also do understand that, George, you're thinking about uh, uh, buying one and, in fact, building one on the show, which uh, might meet this requirement. Yeah, I've uh, I've built three of those before. I've built a soft rock forty that was crystal bound, just had a, a crystal in it, so it was a fixed one band device, covered part of forty meters, and then I built a couple of frequency agile ones that uh, I, one I still use. I feed IF out of my HF rig into it, and it makes a nice little SDR. But uh, what Peter's referring to there is I'm planning to build another soft rock here and i'm not going to buy it there i'll i'll fess up they're going to send me one to build but we're trying to decide which one to build and there's um a poll right now on the amateur logic facebook page that you can take to help me decide which of those soft rocks i should build and it'll be built on the other show on ham nation and smoke and solder and we're going to announce it in advance so that those of you at home who'd like to follow along can order your kit and uh, we'll all build it together so that's going to be a fun project uh jim have you got any emails by jim i think you're you mean an email george email email sorry all righty i I have a uh, comment left by um joe poltola (laughs) on uh amateur live facebook group he wrote to track the curiosity rover over distance and make sure the wheels are not just spinning the tread on the wheels leave marks in the sand that the cameras can look at. The tracks in the sand will look like the uh, Morse code for JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. I thought that was a pretty neat uh, thing that they left there. It sounds like they might have some good amateur radios in, uh, in that project. That does sound like a, a really neat idea. And uh, Morse code on Mars, who would have thought? Yeah, it's yeah. pretty cool. It's not dead, is it? No, apparently not. At least not on Mars. Uh, not here either. There's, there's a lot. Do you do any Morse, Emil? Uh, very little. And when I do, I, I'm cheating using the digital master software from my Ham Radio Deluxe. That's the same way I do it. <laughs> did you by any chance catch the Mars Curiosity landing during the week, which I did? It was uh, absolutely terrific. I was a few minutes late tuning into it myself, but I, I did see... Um, Right after it had landed, and they started unfolding things. Yeah, I, I missed it. I had to leave to catch a plane at 6 o'clock in the morning, so I wasn't able to stay up late enough to watch it. Yeah. Well, Tommy, what are you doing this month? Man, <clears throat> I guess I'm kind of on a D-Star kick still. And uh, actually, I've mentioned being on a plane. I've been traveling a lot with my job, and I took my DV access point with Your me. Your DV access point, yeah. DV dongle access point actually, and uh, took it to the hotel where I normally u- get the most use out of it, and I sat down and actually did a segment on it. Cool. Let's have a look. Well, I'm here again at another home away from home. This one's actually pretty familiar to me. I come here so much that people recognize me on the reservation desk when I call in to make my reservations here. A lot of you heard me mention the, some of the D Star toys that I picked up to kind of kill some time, play around while I'm in the hotel brought back home to friends. Anyway, in particular, one of my favorites is the DV access point. This thing is so nice. 
It comes in a nice box. To, it fits in a little slot in the top so it doesn't get banged around. I actually keep the box to ship it in when I'm traveling. Anyway, the it comes with the cable, USB cable, the device, and a two meter, I was going to call it a rubber duck, but there's really not any rubber to it. It's hard plastic. And I'm not really sure why I call it two meters either because a couple of buddies tested it with an MFJ analyzer, antenna analyzer rather, and it's really not resident on two meters. But anyway, the thing is such low power, it doesn't really matter. I think top power is uh, 100 milliwatts, if I'm not mistaken. It works up to a couple hundred feet, you know, around your home. I haven't had any trouble out of it. Some people have actually hooked this thing up to an external antenna you know, 60 feet in the air, so the high gain antenna and gotten two, three, four miles out of it. It's actually pretty impressive for the low power output. Anyway, to hook it up, pretty simple. Plug in, plug it into the USB cable and plug the USB cable into the computer. Doesn't get too much easier than that, does it? Okay, it's got some lights on it, status lights, so red, green, and a blue light. Uh, tells you the when it's transmitting, when it's receiving, when it's uh, got network connection. So anyway, let's plug it up and uh, take a look. You can program the frequency on it with your computer using the software that we'll see in a minute. Whatever uh, frequency you pick, just uh, put the same one in your handy talkie, set it to DV mode, has to be a D-Star handy talkie. This thing doesn't really have much smarts. It basically just passes the data through that comes from your handy talkie. If you've got the GPS mic or a GPS connected to your radio somehow, it'll actually pass the GPS data through as well. It trunks the data through the internet so you can connect to repeaters and reflectors from all over the world. That's the big draw to it for me. I love using HF when I'm at home, but I'm gone so much this allows me to pretty much always find somebody on. It's been a rare occasion that I've used that thing and flipped around to the different reflectors and a few favorite repeaters and not found someone talking. I, I like to listen as much as I like to talk. So um, anyway, it's really great for me to kill time while I'm away from home. Let's take, Let's take a quick look at the software. We can go to the webpage, www.dv apdongle.com and it'll bring you up to this page. You can download the software from the downloads link right here. To install it, you're going to need a driver for the USB port that the, is built into the dongle. So if you've got Windows, you can get it that the links provided here and there's also one for Mac and Linux. Go here and make sure you got the drivers and the software you need when you get your access point. There are a few commands built into the access point. If you enter DVAP with an I, it'll give you a voice ID. DVAP with an E will echo back anything you say. So if I key down and talk into, if I have my radio set to send DVAP with an E at the end for the command and I talk into it, when I let go of the key, I'll hear exactly what I sent back and I use that a lot to check the uh, my signal to make sure that I'm not too far away from the access point. You can record your voice messages, do custom ones uh, for your commands and things like that. Anyway, let's take a look at the actual software. 
I already downloaded it and it's basically you just download it and unzip it and put it into your folder and it's that easy. Uh, enter your call sign. <clears throat> your call sign has got to be registered on the DSTART network or you'll uh, get connected in read-only mode. I would also suggest if you get one, the first thing to do is go join the the Yahoo group. There's a DV access point Yahoo group that's uh, got a lot of information. Robin Cutshaw, the guy that developed the device, hangs out on there a lot, answers questions. Uh, very helpful guy. Anyway, it's a great resource. So you can see the uh, USB port that we got defined when we installed the driver off of that uh, website we just showed you. Connected to the computer. So we just click open and it'll make sure that you've got the most current software and opens the port to your device. You can see your serial number there. You can adjust the power. Most of the time I leave mine low because it's sitting right there, although high is actually low in actuality. You can record uh, whatever's transmitting through your access point and you can play it back. The downside of that is it's not a standard file. I wish it were an MP3 or a WAV file or AIF file, anything that you could play with regular software, but it's not. And I have not found a way to convert it yet. So let's uh, let's turn on the handy talkie. So let's go in and pick a reflector. We'll pick 30 Charlie. That's the one the Georgia D-Star group hangs out on. It's usually pretty busy. Hopefully we'll hear someone. And we'll just hit transmit. And voila. So we'll go into CQ mode on the radio and it's done. Mm -hmm. If we were to start talking, people, anyone connected to the reflector would hear us. Let's see how many people are on there. So as you can see, there are a lot of gateways connected, a lot of remote users, like myself connected, and there I am from sitting in my hotel room in Memphis, Tennessee, connected to this reflector. Wherever it is, I'm assuming it's in Georgia. And there have been quite a number of people on here. So anyway, there's almost always someone to talk to. Let's, let's try another one. We'll push, uh, we'll send a U to disconnect. Remote system unlinked. Gives you voice command, voice prompts back, which is very nice. Well, let's pick another one. We'll try, uh, let's just try my home repeater, the K5RKN repeater. Remote system linked. Remote system linked. And we'll go back into CQCQ, and we're good to go. And 5Z and O. Let's go check the the uh, gateway and see if we're on there. And there we are. We're the only remote user on here at the time. And there have been a few people on here. It's pretty easy to use. It's very handy. Let's try the echo mode I was showing you earlier. First we'll unlink.
Remote system unlinked. Now let's uh, let's try Echo. N5 ZNO. N5 ZNO. Well, that's kind of it in a nutshell. You can see it's a pretty handy little device. Cost about $250. Um, it's a little bit pricey, maybe, but if you don't live near a D Star repeater and you want to explore the D Star world, it's not that bad of a price to pay. If you're gone a lot like me and you can't bring an HF rig with you, it's not really practical then uh, it's kind of the next best thing. You can talk all over the world from sitting right here in your hotel room with your handy talkie and your access point. Well, that was really neat, Tommy. I've talked to you using that thing a few times, and, you know, you can't tell that it's, that it's anything different than a repeater. Yeah, it's an awesome little device. It really opens up a whole new world, really. You know, if you're interested in D-Star and you don't have a repeater close by, you pretty much have a repeater in your hand. Uh, in the segment, I mentioned that some of my buddies tested the uh, the plastic duck here, and uh, it wasn't resonant. So yes. I was going to try it myself, and it, it's really not. It's not resonant anywhere on two meters. You used the MFJ259B <clears throat> to, yep. yeah, to yeah, test it. Sure did. And uh, I couldn't find any place where it was resonant. But the thing's only like 10 milliwatts. It doesn't really matter. Probably yeah. just, just as well with a paper clip in it. But anyway, it uh, it works pretty nice. Interesting. Well, I've got another email here that comes from Pete, W2NJU. And Pete says, Hi, George. I've been using dipoles, which were graciously given to me by a fellow club member. Uh, the dipole's a little weathered, and I noticed that one leg on the ladder line was coming loose where it wraps around the actual antenna wire, and I figured I'd do a little smoke and solder to fix it, and it hit a problem. The solder's not sticking to the union of the feed line in the antenna wire. It's turning brown and leaving a brown tacky residue on the wire. Uh, the stuff that falls to the ground is silver as it should be, but the repair is just brown and tacky. Any ideas? Well, Pete, um, yeah, the first thing you need to do is take those wires apart and clean them both up real good with some Scotch-Brite or steel wool or something like that to get all the existing stuff off of there. Then try using a little bit of solder flux paste. Put that on there. Make sure you got enough heat on your iron. Heat those wires up and then feed the solder in right to the junction of where the, the wires meet in the uh, soldering iron tip. But mostly, you know, you want to touch that solder to the wire and let the wire melt the solders rather than the tip of the iron. And if those wires are solderable, that is a word, isn't it? Solderable. It is today. Okay. Well, if if they'll hold solder, then uh, you should have a good job. If you can just apply the heat on there and don't burn everything up. <laughs> yeah, that's good advice. My first uh, thought would have been that maybe the smoke to solder ratio was out of proportion. Mm -hmm. Maybe had too much smoke and yeah. too little solder. Well, the, the newer solder doesn't have as much smoke as the old stuff. <laughs> Uh, you got something from Jerry there, don't you, Tommy? I do. From uh, Jerry NF9L. Uh, he says, 
<clears throat> excuse me you say you have 813 hams that have joined you not sure if you mean membership to amateurlogic.tv i looked all over your website but found no sign of a sign up form how do i join and uh, that's probably us we were talking about that many members of our facebook group the amateur logic facebook group and uh, it's actually up to about 890 now roughly about 888 i think oh uh, it was 890 when i looked a little while ago was it okay yeah. So. Anyway, it's growing really fast. So if you're not a member, come on and join us. It's a lot of fun, a lot of good conversations going on. Ham radio, Raspberry Pi, anything technical. Yeah. Uh, Peter. I've got a uh, email here from Rich in Florida. Rich enjoyed my Raspberry Pi video uh, last month and uh, my comment about uh, hiding under a rock. Uh, he hadn't heard of the Pi before. It's almost unbelievable but uh, uh, but has now ordered one well that's great uh, rich and there might still be one or two people out there that uh, haven't heard about the pie I suggest uh, perhaps uh, look it up on on Google and, and learn more about it it's a low-cost uh, development board that you can uh, do uh, a whole lot of different things with including making a, a media server and that actually brings me to this month's um, segment. Uh, I've actually got a follow-up segment to last month's Raspberry Pi segment and I thought uh, using a keyboard wasn't an ideal situation with a media server and I found a way that you could actually use your tablet or your mobile phone uh, to actually control the, uh, the Raspberry Pi. Hello everyone. Last month we built a media server. Uh, we used a Raspberry Pi and we overclocked it for extra performance. This month, I'm going to show you how you can use your iOS or Android tablet or phone to control the media server. The first thing we're going to do is to find out what our media server's IP address is and also uh, change a few settings. Uh, the first thing we do is go down to System Info under System. And there under summary, we should see our IP address, which in this case is 192.168.1.7. So jot that down for later use. Going up the menu uh, one step, uh, we go to system, across to settings. Now there are three settings that I found worked for me. Under services, down to web server, make sure that allow control of XBMC via HTTP is checked. Under remote control, make sure that allow, allow programs on other systems to control XBMC is also checked. And then you go up the menu again and then down to system. And under there you'll find input devices. I made sure also that remote control sends keyboard presses and made sure that that was checked as well. So uh, once you've done all that, the next thing you'll need to do is to go into either the uh, App Store, uh, if you've got an iOS device, or into uh, Google Play and download uh, XBMC Remote. Uh, or it might be listed as official XBMC Remote. So download that and install that on your uh, on your device and uh, we'll now proceed to change the settings uh, in that software okay over here as you can see I've downloaded XBMC remote let's open that up and it's telling me no hosts 
detected. So I'm going to have to put in a host, that is, tell it where to find XM or XBMC. So go to settings, no host to find, in order to add host, press menu. So close that and just press this little button down here, like so, add host. Uh, actually, I might go back just because there's a slightly easier way. Just go back to the menu again. Instead, I'll use the host wizard, which is a little bit easier. Now, under the name for the host, I'll just call that XBMC. Under the IP address, well, we knew that before that that was 192.168.1.1. And we press next. It's telling me that the event server of XBMC is used to remotely control XBMC. You might have to click OK there. I've already done that uh, in, in earlier on in, in an earlier installation, so I don't need to worry about that. And click next. Couldn't mute XBMC through the event server. Please check if UDP port 9777 is blocked in your firewall. At this point, I just ignored that and just hit finish. OK, and then go back to the menu. And let's see if we can now uh, control uh, XBMC uh, using the remote. All right, here goes nothing. So we press XMBC remote. Use as remote control. Let's see. Yes, since down on the right-hand side it says detected new connection. And as you can see, I can move left, right, up, down, whatever, um, or back to the menu as needs require. So there you go. Um, we've now got a remote control uh, for XBMC, and it works quite well. Well, that was a neat remote control project there, Peter. I, I, somebody made a comment on the Facebook group. What, what was that, Tommy? Yeah, it said uh, your remote control maybe had more CPU power than the computer actually did. That remote control also probably had more computing power than Apollo 11 did. Stay tuned. We've got more pie coming up shortly. But uh, right now, uh, Emil, we got an email here about scanners. Well, it wasn't really an email. It was a Facebook post, and I'm glad that you answered it because I really didn't know the answer. Right. Um, Ray Milbrandt on the Facebook, uh, Amateur Logic Facebook uh, group posted a question, uh, think, thinking about getting a Uniden BCT or BCD 396 XT scanner. Do you know anything about this device? Thanks. Um, in fact, I... Um, had its mobile cousin, the BCD996XT, and if that's any indication, these are uh, great receivers. Um, but it looks like, um, in fact, they're the same price uh, because of their ability to do the APCO digital and all the other prior trunking systems. And uh, the it looks like Uniden, however, is putting all of their research and uh, efforts into the, the new home patrol scanner which has uh, all sorts of new ties to the internet and um, one of the groups on the internet um, um, that can really uh, you know pro help you in programming the scanner so if uh, if you can just 
give that extra. I know it sounds weird coming from the cheap old man, but uh, if you can pay a little bit more for it, the uh, Home Patrol is Uniting's flagship uh, model now. Well, that's cool. Uh, yeah, I haven't really been up on scanners since back in the Bearcat days. Uh, it's been a long time. They've added a lot of um, features, especially with the uh, interoperability uh, networks, the digital APCO uh, systems, APCO 25, and uh, they've, they've got all kind of new functions on them, uh, George. Uh, that's cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I've got an old unit in... Uh it's uh, rebranded as Radio Shack, but it's identical to the Uniden. Yeah, Uniden makes most of the scanners <clears throat> out there, I think. Yeah, it's always been a good one, but I'd be honest we haven't turned it on in years. Yeah. Well, I've got one more email here. This one uh, kind of goes back a long ways. This is from my friend Kevin, K4KJP. He says, Tommy, when you did the segment about building the Cantana and you were using NetStumbler, what wireless card were you using? I want to buy one that has the ability to connect an external antenna but I want to make sure that it's compatible with NetStumbler. And that that reaches way back. If I'm not mistaken, uh, Cantana was episode three, wasn't it? Uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah, that's a long time ago. But uh, the card that I used was an Orinoco uh, Classic Gold PCMCIA card. Mm -hmm. had an external antenna connector on it. And I honestly don't remember which one we used in the... Uh, we used segment. a Linksys, and I don't remember the model number. I'm sure you, you can't get it anymore. But it was just a little box, and the antenna folded up on it. It didn't have an external connector, but it did have a little pigtail that went to the antenna, and I disconnected that and, and hooked it to the element inside the can there. So it was um, a little hodgepodge, but it worked really well. Which one did we use on the, on the other end? Uh, that one, I'm not sure what Jim had. It may have just been the Wi-Fi built into his notebook. But he just had like a little uh, dipole antenna on top of his truck, so it wasn't even cantina to cantina. Yeah, I know that Orinoco card had an external jack on it, and uh, yeah, that could have been it's what PCM he used. CIA, but uh, you're not gonna find a computer that that fits in anymore. So anyway, I don't know if you guys uh, know a good one that uh, works with NetStumbler now, but uh, be kind of cool. Maybe drop a message on the Facebook group with some suggestions. Yeah. Well, email. we know that you're the uh, king of cheap. What have you got for us this month? Well, uh, the newest cheap old man, Minutes, and it is turning to Minutes. I'm, I'm finding some subjects that are taking a little bit more time than just the minute. So uh, this, uh, this episode is um, uh, me exploring the uh, WinLink global email system using a new protocol that's even better than cheap. It's free. And basically, you don't have to have a, a TNC, a physical TNC, to use this uh, new protocol because the TNC is a software TNC. It's called WinMore. So that's the segment. Uh, just imagine being able to send email from anywhere in the world with uh, professional features like HF uh, propagation prediction. And uh, not having that TNC is a big deal from a cheap perspective. So that's my segment. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cheap Old Man Minutes. In this episode, I wanted to spend a little time talking about something I think that's a great service to amateur radio, um, and some new functionality that's available within it. Been uh, been developing for quite some time. Uh, Winlink 2000 
is a global radio email system that's been available for some time. And uh, with hundreds, if not thousands, of uh, HF stations available for relay of electronic messages via RF and many more via packet VHF and UHF the system is well established to handle all sorts of traffic via RF um, so you may be wondering what's the big deal it's been around for a while uh, many different protocols well established system for relaying messages what's the big deal and why is this a cheap old man minute well there's a new protocol on the block in the winlink system that does not require a tnc in fact it uses your sound card just like many digital communication devices are doing these days uh, uses your sound card as tnc the program itself is very familiar as it looks mo like most common email client software like Outlook or uh, others but uh, the big difference is the actual TNC that's built into the software but, and one of my favorite features of this to uh, definitely check out and makes and much uh, professional uh, use in my opinion is the channel selection capabilities it uses the vocap HF prediction software to actually pick the best propagation for whatever your situation might be to get the message out of your area especially if you're in the affected area of a situation or an emergency situation the vocap uh, system will basically can tell you what your best bet is via HF to get that signal out. I thought that was a wonderful uh, addition and um, to the software. Um, besides RF, you can also hit the major uh, telnet sessions of. Uh, the the Winlink 2000 system and via the internet and of course if you want to go that far you can actually become a uh, sysop of some of these systems and offer your own services or uh, equipment for the cause so um, with that I'll say uh, thanks from KE5QKR and that's another cheap old man minute and that's pretty cool, Emil. The uh, HF propagation prediction part, that kind of helps on the reliability, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It really uh, makes a difference when you're, you're trying to get your signal out. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Thanks for sharing that with us. Well, I've got an email here. Um, you remember the strange antenna challenge? Yeah. You know, I participated in that thing one year, and I, I wasn't able to this past year. Well, I got a, an email here from my friend Douglas, KI4YOB. Down in, I believe he's in Florida. I can't remember the, the city down there, though. 
But he sent me some pictures of his strange antennas from this year's challenge. Uh, he purchased 14 used motorcycle handlebars from a Harley-Davidson dealer's warehouse for $2 a piece a few years ago. He had eight of them left over and decided to make a handlebar dipole antenna. Uh, the problem he had was that it was too heavy to hoist up in the air, and they wouldn't stay aligned at the feed point, and they were uh, floppy in the air. So he took one of the elements four sets of handlebars and made a vertical nowhere near as straight you know by, by any means as a regular dipole but it was a vertical antenna and then he laid uh, an aluminum ladder on the ground for a plane and suspended the handlebar array uh, via some two by twos and some clamps and a pair of eight foot step ladders oh wow man that is neat isn't it yeah he said he did add a fifth set of handlebars to the top for a physical height of about 13 feet, but a linear length of radiator closer to 16 feet. 16 feet of handlebars, man, that's... That's a lot. Yeah. Um, anyway, we appreciate you sending those pictures along, Douglas. The Strange Antenna Challenge, I don't remember the date right now, but... That's a nice event that you might want to participate in, especially if you've got some junk laying around. And, Emil, it sounds kind of cheap to me. Hey, I'm for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty interesting thing. I looked at a lot of those on the uh, website also. But, uh, go check them out. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. You know, I kind of it. crazy stuff people I come up with. One year, and uh, mine wasn't quite, quite as crazy as that. Yeah. But it, it worked. I made a few contacts. Peter, what have you got down there? My final email is from Kevin, ZL1KFM, from New Zealand. And he writes that he's just got his Raspberry Pi and is searching for any ham projects as well as a media project for his car. Well, um, hopefully we'll have a, a project or two for the Pi in the future, but uh, I think you've got something this month for us about the Pi, uh, uh, George. Well, I do, Peter. You know, I had gotten two of them, and I hadn't had a chance to do anything with either one of them. Um, I did talk about it a little bit in a smoking solder a couple of weeks ago. But uh, this weekend, I had a chance to finally get my pie out and get it booted up. And, you know, some folks may be intimidated by it, you know, being a Linux computer and uh, some not really what I would call low-level stuff, but you got to follow instructions. So uh, I went through and produced a segment here showing you step-by-step step my recipe for uh, the 10-minute Raspberry Pi. In the last action-packed episode of AmateurLogic.tv, Peter showed us his Raspberry Pi, told us a little bit about it, and showed us his media server. Well, I've had my Raspberry Pi now several weeks and just got around to playing with it. So today I'm going to show you from ground zero how to start to get your Raspberry Pi up and running. This is a neat little $35 Linux computer and it's going to be a lot of fun. The first thing we need to do is find an SD card for the unit because some SD cards won't work with it. Fortunately, there's an online resource at elinux.org. So we'll go to that website and then we'll do a search for Raspberry Pi SD card. Once we get there, we'll scroll down until we find RPI Verified Peripherals. Click that link. On the right-hand side, we'll scroll down and look for SD cards. 
And here we'll find a listing of all the working SD cards and those known not to work. I printed out this list and took it with me to the store, so I had an easy time finding a SanDisk 32GB card that would work. I plugged the card into my ancient SD card reader, and unfortunately, it just wasn't fast enough to read these new cards. So it was back to Best Buy, where I picked up a cheap Dynex card reader, and it worked just fine. So back to a nearby web browser, and now we go to the raspberrypi.org website. Once we get there, we click on Download to go to the Downloads page. Then we'll scroll down. I'm using Windows, so I'll look for the Win32 Disk Imager. I'll click that link, and it'll take me to Soft Video where I can download it. But you need to be careful here because there's all kinds of crap they throw on there that tries to make it look like it's a download link, and in fact it's not. So look carefully till you found the download link. Now, if it wants to install some kind of download manager for you, don't do it. Just go back and keep looking around, and you'll eventually find the link where you can actually download the file. Now we go back to the raspberrypi.org downloads page and look for our Linux distribution. There are several on here to choose from, but the one that's uh, probably the newest and I've heard the most about is the Raspbian Wheezy distribution. So that's the one I'm going to get. Now there's two methods here to download. You can choose a torrent, which is what they recommend, or you can do a direct download. I'm going to do a direct download here just to show you that since I don't have a torrent client installed. Now this is going to take several minutes to download, so you may want to take a break and grab a snack. Popcorn freshly popped and buttered. Mm -mm. Look good? Sure it looks good and it tastes even better. Get some now. Now back to the downloads page and we notice a checksum here. That's a number we'll use to verify that we got a good download. We'll click here for the instructions and if we're running Linux, Here's the instructions for checking it there. However, we're running Windows, so we need to download SHA1SOM.exe so that we can verify our image. Now that we've downloaded all the files we need, we've got our Linux distribution. We've got the SHA1SOM program, which will be used to verify the image is good. And we also have the Win32 disk image program. That'll be used to copy our image onto the SD card. Now we'll verify the image by using the SHA1 SUM program. I'll need to run that from a command prompt, so I'll click the Windows Start button. In the search box, I will enter CMD for command and press Enter, and it pops up a command window. The first thing we will need to do is change directories to the folder where our image is stored. Now we'll run the SHA1SUM program by typing that in on the command line, followed by a space, and then the name of the image file, still in zip format, that we want to verify. Now I'm going to copy the name here uh, using uh, Control-C, and then I'll come down here and paste it in the command window, since it is a long name. And you'll have to put the .zip extension at the end of it, since it's not already there. Now there's the checksum for the file, so we'll bring back up our browser window, which shows the proper checksum, and then we'll compare these two numbers. 
and they're quite long but we'll find that they do match so we know we've got a good valid file download now we need to unzip the image file and store it somewhere and unzip the Win32 disk image program and I just stuck it in a temporary folder here. I'll run that program. The first thing I'll do is click the icon here to choose my image file and we're on the desktop and there's the image and the next thing I need to do is to choose the drive that it goes on and that is the G drive. I had verified that earlier. This is our SD card and then it's just a matter of clicking right and waiting for the image to be transferred to the SD card. Yes, we want to do it. Now, this is going to take a few moments as well. It looks like we have success, so it's time to leave the PC and move over to the bench with the Raspberry Pi. The Raspberry Pi comes with a quick start guide, and we'll look over that and see what we need to do here. We've already got our SD card prepared, so we're ready to move on and connect things. Now we'll need a 5 volt power supply that can do at least 700 milliamps. I hear it's better to have more than that. I have a supply that I plan to use, but for now I'm just going to use the supply off my iPad. It says that it's 5 volts at 2.1 amps, so that should be plenty. The power supply connects with a micro USB cable, and I've got one of those. just plugs in the end here. And the instructions say we need to connect everything before we power up. So we've got our keyboard, which is USB. We'll plug that in. And we'll plug in a USB mouse. Next, we need to plug in our video, which I'm going to use HDMI to go to a 720p HDMI monitor that I use here in the studio. And then we'll put in our SD card, which will act as a hard drive. It plugs in this little connector here on the bottom of the board. And there's one final connector to install, and that's our Ethernet cable. Now we should be ready to power up. Power on, and immediately we start getting some prompts on the screen as the Raspberry Pi configures the operating system. Eventually, we come to a setup screen. The first thing I'm going to do is expand the root partition so that we use the whole drive. The next option is for overscan of the monitor. This one looks okay, so we're not going to adjust that. And then we have configure the keyboard layout. Well, let's take a look at that. Now I'm using the Microsoft Comfort Curve 3000 keyboard. There's a 2000 listed here, so I'll choose that. Now there are several other options here under configuring the keyboard, and we'll step through each of those one at a time and choose what looks best for us. Now after that we're given the option to change the password, but I'm going to leave it like it is for now. And then we can set the locale. Now I'm a little unclear as to exactly how the locale should be set here, so I'm going to leave that one alone and go down to change time zone. I'll choose America, and then I'll choose the city that's in my time zone that I see first, which is Chicago. Then we have the option to set the memory split, which I'm not going to bother with, and to enable or disable the SSH server, which I'm not going to bother with either. Then we can set the boot behavior, which I want this one to boot directly to the desktop when it starts. 
And the final option is to try to upgrade the Raspberry Pi config. I'm going to choose that option, and it'll take a few moments here to go through and do its upgrading process. After that, we're finished, so I'll click Finish, and it wants to reboot the system, and I'll say yes. And after a while, it's finished doing all its configuration again, and it boots into the desktop. And there we have it, the Raspberry Pi desktop. Now, I'm not a Linux guy, so I don't understand everything I'm seeing on here. But we'll find a web browser and see if we can locate our favorite website. Looks like it worked. We'll navigate around here a little bit. Now let's try one other thing. I'm not much of a gamer, but let's try Wormy. Well, that didn't take very long, did it? Well, there you have it, George's 10-minute Raspberry Pi recipe. It's pretty easy, man. It's uh, not nearly as intimidating as a lot of people think it would be. No. Mm -mm. Yeah. And after it gets to running, you've got the GUI there. It's really similar to Windows anyway. So don't be scared of it. Get you a piece of pie and have some fun. Yeah, 35 bucks, and then a memory card and a power supply, and, you know, you're off to the races. Yeah. You've probably got a keyboard and a mouse and, a, you know, a monitor or a TV set or something laying around already. So... Uh, nice little project. I plan to do some more stuff with it in the future. I don't see a lot of ham radio projects for it out there yet. There's a few, so I'm hoping, you know, that some amateurs are going to get on board here and start recompiling some of this stuff for the pie. Cause yeah, Robin Cutshaw uh, actually released a uh, a version of his program that will work with these for the Raspberry Pi also. But it, it doesn't do everything that... The no, I think it makes it a network device, actually. And then you can uh, connect to it uh, from another computer remotely, run your client. So you can set this somewhere, you know, take your laptop in the living room, control it. Okay. Stuff like that's that. Cool. I, haven't, I haven't played with that yet, but that's coming soon. Yeah. Well, Emil, have you got one final Facebook comment for us down there? I do. I have a question from the uh, Facebook again. Uh, Facebook group again. It's uh, from Wayne Eubanks, and he asked, just out of curiosity, I'm going to ask a question that has been asked on many gun and or knife forums, but applied to ham radio. If you could have only one radio, what would you pick? I'm pretty sure my choice, but would like to hear from others' opinion. Well, uh, I did some tallying, George, and, and uh, it looks like uh, the winner is the uh, Yaesu 857D from the count currently. And uh, in a close second and third, in fact, tied for second place is uh, ICOM 7000 and uh, Yaesu's 897D, which is uh, one of the rigs I have. And uh, I like uh, they're pretty set on the, the coverage of all those rigs because they all cover from HF all the way up to UHF. Yeah, the... Uh the 857 really was a popular one. Tommy and I both have those. Mm -hmm. And uh, I put down, though, the uh, IC7000 because he didn't say anything about price. So if I could have either one uh, and didn't have to buy it, I, I'd go with the 7000 because that is a super nice rig. But the 897, that's what? That's the 857 with the battery pack in it. Does it have anything else, Emil? Um. Let's see. That's pretty. That's pretty much the difference. The size of it and the uh, internal battery uh, compartments. Actually, two. Um, you can have two batteries in that uh, rig, so it's just a lot bigger than 857D because of that. Oh, uh, cool. 
Well, we hope everyone's enjoyed episode 42 here of AmateurLogic.tv. It's been a busy and hot month here, but uh, hopefully you'll be watching this on the 15th or, or pretty soon afterwards. Uh, I do want to bring your attention to one item here over on the other show on uh, Ham Nation. I'm running a contest right now on smoke and solder. We're giving away an ICOM IC7000, a $250 gift certificate from Comet Antennas, and a $250 gift certificate from Diamond Antennas. Oh, nice. Yeah. Wow. Very nice. If you would like to get in the running and try to win that, what you need to do is post uh, some pictures of your mobile installation to the Smoke and Solder Facebook group. Just started last week. People are just now posting on there. And they're going to be judged on possibly, uh, three different criteria. The best, the most innovative, and the most unique. And the way we're doing it is you go on there, you post your mobile photos, and then the other members of the group, uh, which none of us will be voting on it. I, oh, I guess Emil and Peter might, but uh, Ray and I won't be voting on it, and uh, none of the Ham Nation staff. But it'll be viewers, and we'll run that contest for three weeks. And at the end of that three-week period, we're going to look over the group there and see who had the, the most likes. That's how you vote. And then we'll put that in a poll, and you can then vote again on that poll of which one of those 10 um, top viewers or top mobile installations should win that IC7000 and those antenna prizes. Now, you don't have to use a 7000 as a mobile rig. You can use it as a base. And the diamond and common antenna packages don't have to be for any particular antenna. You could get base antennas if you'd like or upgrade your mobile, whatever you'd like to do. Anyway, um, you know, it's, it's the other program. It's Ham Nation, but... Uh, we know that Amateur Logic viewers and Ham Nation viewers watch both programs, so we did want to mention that in there and give everyone an opportunity to go get in on that contest. Tommy, have we got anything else we need to go over before we wrap up here? Yeah, if you're not a member of our Facebook group, come join us. It's a lot of fun. Follow us on Twitter at Amateur Logic. Um, that's about it for this month. Yeah, we do have a Google Plus page as well, Amateur Logic Google Plus page, but there's not as much on there since, uh, you know, the group members can't really post on Google Plus. It's, or if they can, we still haven't figured out how. Yeah. So uh, there's a little something on there occasionally. Yeah, it's an, it's a, uh, Google Plus is awesome, but it, uh, the groups aren't quite up to par just yet. Yeah. Peter, what about you down there? Anything uh, going on noteworthy? Not really, uh, George. Just uh, we're just uh, having a rather cold winter down here. But uh, um, yeah, look, I just wanted to say that uh, that is a great contest. And uh, although you didn't mention it, uh, although you mentioned it on your fa Facebook uh, page, uh, that you're not actually if you you're not actually putting any likes on any of the uh, the photos because uh, you don't want to be showing any favoritism in terms of the uh, the judging. So uh, I thought that was really good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, if you look on there and I don't click on like on your installation, that doesn't mean I, I don't like it. It's just I'm, I'm trying to stay impartial, so I'm not voting on any of them myself. 
Emily, it was great to have you with us this episode. You're not that far away, oh, probably three hours or so, and I'm down in your direction ever so often, so maybe we'll hook up down there and have our own ham fest one day. All right, George. I'll be glad to uh, meet you in person. All right. Speaking of ham fest, uh, we'll be at Huntsville. Yeah, the next, next weekend. weekend. Yeah, mm-hmm. so uh, those of you that watch us on the 15th, maybe we'll see some of you at uh, Huntsville out there. Just keep an eye out for us. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I don't know, Emil, are you going to that one? No, oh, I, I don't have plans. I'm um, doing a lot of things with uh, some uh, my daughter in college down here in, in the south, so I don't have plans on me making that one. Okay. Well, as you can hear in the background, the repeater is back on the line that's been down here for the past month or so almost. Uh, maybe maybe two or three weeks. It feels like a month. Yeah. So we got the Echo Link node back up at uh, W5PPB-R. And we'll be running that Echo Link node here Monday night. Why is that, Tommy? That's because we have our amateur logic net on the first Monday following the release day of the 15th. And it's usually the third Monday of the month. I can't see the calendar here, so I don't know if that's the case this month or not. So uh, y'all join us Monday night. Well, I don't know what date that is. 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Probably the 20th. Does that yeah. sound right to you? Yeah, the first Monday following the release. Okay. <laughs> that's the only way I can keep up with yeah. it. Yeah. But so, anyway, we had a great uh, great crowd last time. We did. It actually ran kind of long. Had some good discussions even after the net. So. Yep. So join us for that uh, Echo Link net this coming Monday night. And we'll have a big time and look forward to seeing everyone. You want to wrap us? I'm not too good at rapping, man, but I will see you guys next month. I'll see you again, 7-3. <laughs> How'd that nose ring project come out? Yeah, it, uh, it's painful. I had to give that up. <laughs> yeah. Had yeah. to give it up. It's pretty heavy, man. Yeah. My nose was starting to droop down well, on the end. You should, you should have soldered the wire before you stuck yeah, it in there. I should have. Yeah, it didn't work out too well.